it was like watching uh, people skating like a playground, like all the the hills and the ledges and the street spots and just everything. It was always like San Francisco, and you just kind of really wanted to go there. That was George Rocha. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. George owns and operates Iris Skateboards, a company that recycles used skateboards into new boards and other wooden things like furniture. In this podcast, George talks about his childhood in Rhode Island, which was basically filled with skateboarding in one way or another. Just a quick personal note, my talk with George was like a stroll down memory lane for me. I grew up doing so many of the same things in Texas that George and his New England friends did, so this one was really special for me. Here's George. I'm from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and what it was like growing up was kind of like a small industrial type town. Um, I just remember kind of uh, always being out in the streets, you know, especially on my skateboard, just pushing around. And it was a it was a different time. So like, as long as you're home when the street lights came on, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted all day. So when did you start skating? I started skating when I was five. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. And so that's like almost as back as long as you remember life. Yeah, pretty much. Kinda. Yeah, kinda. It, it was definitely a memorable time. How did you start? Uh, my parents bought a skateboard at a yard sale. It was this like clear plastic green, just 70s board. And I think it was around like 1979, 1980. And I would just ride around the driveway on my hands and knees and stuff. And so it was like, a, like an old kind of shitty 70s board. Yeah. In retrospect, at the time... Yard sale like, board. You know, I, I imagine when it was new, it was probably sold at a department store, you know, back in one of the heydays. But, um, yeah, I just got a kick out of it immediately and then just wheeled around on it everywhere. Yeah. And then so that, so as you got older and skating kind of evolved in the 80s, I'm guessing then then you kind of Honest, got your choice yeah. of skateboards? Honestly, like, I was, like, just riding this plastic board. I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on around me in the world of skateboarding yet. Maybe because I was, like, young or, I mean, I'm in Rhode Island. It's not like it's that prevalent there. But um, once I really kind of got wind of, like, skateboarding and the professional aspect of it, it was kind of like the launch ramp era. So... I immediately was like, oh my god, I need to like launch off something into the sky on my board. And I just like started propping up wood against things in the driveway. And that so, led... like flat ramps, not ramps with curvature. Well, right? no, just, just it's to like launch. it was flat ramps, but then like you'd look through an old thrasher and you'd see the curved to it. So you'd like hand draw a transition and ask your dad enough questions to figure out how this is going to happen and just steal his tools and whip some stuff together. And there you are, launching a board in the sky. Yeah. I'm guessing you had friends doing this stuff with you? or, or? Yeah, we. I, I remember there were some neighbor kids who got into it around the same time I did, and there was a local hill. that There wasn't many hills where I grew up, so like you met other skaters at the local hill, you know? Even if there's only a couple of them. Right, you know? it's like a, like a hub, everyone kind of flocked to the... All to three the of us, all you know what I mean? But like, that was it, yeah. yeah. And then, you mentioned Thrasher. Um, what other kind of like outside sources were you were exposed to? Well, or, or seeking out, I should say. I, re- I remember there was a uh, a rental, like a video rental place in my neighborhood called Video Library, 
and I walked through the aisles there once with my parents going to get a movie, and they had the first Bones Brigade movie. It was like Bones Brigade video show number one, and I was like, oh, I gotta have that, and like that's that was huge. That was just like opening up a portal to a universe that. I didn't know existed, you know. Help me remember. Is that the one where Lance starts off with Lance Mountain skating off the roof? No, that's like Lance on the roof. I think was Future Primitive. Future I think primitive. that was the that's second the one. one. That's the right. first one had Tony Hawk on the cover. It was like a contest run, contest photo of him doing Madonna. I think, and uh, it was still great. It was, and pool skating, like. So like, so pretty much. So what other kinds of things were you into besides skating uh, growing up in Rhode Island? I think. Back then, it was like you either skated or rode bikes, you know? I mean, outside of the organized sports you might have been a part of, you know, like Little League. I did a lot of soccer when I was a kid, but um, I either would have my BMX with my skateboard on the handlebars or just my skateboard, but um, other people would just show up at some random spot where there's something to, like, jump something on, and they'd be on skateboards or bikes or whatever, and... Like I said, I was just a really little kid, and like I didn't really even know what the world was like outside of that spot, you know, or outside of that moment. Right. But actually, so as you're getting older, though, like teen, let's maybe jump ahead to the teen teen years. So like, when I was like old enough to kind of go into the city and skate around downtown Providence, that's when I was kind of like my world opened a little bit more to what like skating actually was. Um, There's skate shops downtown. Um, what was around back then? I think the skate shop was called Watershed, and uh, Skate Away USA. There's there's two of them, and um, I would just skate around, and you'd run into skaters and just meet up at spots. And there was an indoor skate park called the Skate Hut that Fred Smith owned, mm-hmm. and that was that was sick. That was a lot of vert skating because vert skating was huge back then. We're talking around eighty eight to ninety one. The Skate Hut was the spot you'd go skate, especially in the winter. Because you know snow on the ground up in Rhode Island, right? Well, um, was Providence close to where you grew up, or yeah, Pawtucket and Providence border each other? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna make a Rhode Island joke, but I, I won't. You can. It's tiny. It's just small like it has, had technically had to be close because it had a to tiny, be close. Tiny yeah. State. <laughs> yeah. But like as a as a kid before you you know have a car or whatever, like it's close enough for you to be able to get too easily well yeah as a kid you'd run into like older kids who had the driver's license and like i'm 14 but someone who's 16 could like drive to like newport and like go skate the vert ramp on the beach at water brothers or you'd like go pretty much anywhere you heard there's something to skate oh i heard some little kid has a mini ramp in his backyard out in coventry let's go out there you know like which is like 30 miles away and you're just sitting in the back seat can't wait to get there you know totally i remember the skating it's like the skateboard rumor mill you know it was like yeah like someone would hear about something and and like sometimes it wouldn't be true but like when it was you're just no no joke i'd be skating like a quarter pipe in my driveway and people would pull up and be like oh i heard you had a quarter pipe you know we just drove like 20 miles to come skate this and you're stoked you're like yes no way Yeah. yeah as we're sitting here talking i am thinking about the whole need back then for those bumper stickers skateboarding is not a crime and i'm thinking like my own experiences um sometimes just you know like being a skater in texas but also the actual like illegal shit we did like the trespassing you don't have to implicate yourself but did you do anything kind of like like oh there's a an abandoned apartment complex we're gonna drink yeah we did a whole bunch of stuff like that like i remember there was a uh 
toy store chain called Child World, and they went out of business. So it was like department store style, like size building, empty. And we broke in through the back and skated the inside of Child World, like making all these old like display racks into like something to skate. Yeah, that was insane. Like we never even we never got busted for that or anything. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. And then there was always the classic, you kind of uh, rob like job sites of plywood and two by fours and you build a little something. Like we built a half pipe actually out of pretty much all stolen lumber. But I mean, we were, we were doing it in the name of innocence and fun. You know, it wasn't as diabolical as it sounds. Sorry, anyone who got set back by that. <laughs> so with magazines and videos, uh, would you say that those through those sources like those were kind of your first impressions of san francisco or where did those come from? most most definitely um what kind of things were you seeing and and people and that you like it was just like it was like watching uh people skating like a playground like all the the hills and the ledges and the street spots and just everything it was always like san francisco and just kind of really wanted to go there. And, like, I don't know, a lot of my favorite skaters came from San Francisco. Such as? Well, they may not have been from here, but you see them in the pages. Like, back in the day, I was a big fan of Dandre Hobel and John Cardiel. And they were attacking the streets of SF, so that's where you had to be. Um, but my first uh, cross-country excursion actually was to Portland to skate Burnside, which is a DIY skate park under a bridge, under the Burnside Bridge. Okay. And I actually was going to stay there, but I got hurt. So I had to flee back home with no money and hide at mom and dad's again because I was like only like 18, you know? I was going to ask how old were you? And, and did you guys drive? Yeah. Then? So the story goes I skipped high school graduation ceremony to jump in a van to drive to Burnside. And uh, a friend of mine who was older had already done the drive. He's, I was lucky enough to get invited. And uh, it, it was just like the time of my life. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the trip itself? Was it the trip was bonkers, and I'm sure I annoyed the piss out of this guy. You know, I'm just like this 17 year old kid who's like, oh my god, this is like the first I've ever been from home ever. So he's just like, great, you know. But um, once I, I mean, the cross country trip is like a whole different story. But I just remember getting to Burnside and just having like something I've only seen in a magazine just come to life, and it was insane. It, it delivered. Like it a was fairy like, tale, almost. you know, or like it was, something It was magical. nuts. I was immediately out of my element, and like the locals there, so gnarly, and yeah. the skating there was just so next level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Portland is. I, I I don't like to compare Portland to San Francisco, but it was for you, for an East Coast kid, it was kind of your first taste of the West Coast, right? Yeah. What did you think of how different? I thought were? it was. Honestly, I didn't really think it was different because as a skater going like somewhere to skate being surrounded by other skaters you kind of have like that feeling of similarity you know and no matter how gnarly people were they were just they're super rad and welcoming at the same time you know because uh kindred spirits were all there for the same reasons so right, right. i didn't really notice the impact of the differences between the coasts until i like moved here as an adult okay you know so you went back you got hurt and you went back home um any more to the story of being on the east coast before you came out here so i actually got hurt skating in portland so i took a greyhound bus back to providence which was four days of another crazy story that's another story <laughs> oh or stories right there this greyhound should have its own podcast it is so nuts <laughs> i mean if you want to share those right now go for yeah. it yeah 
Um, if not, cool. No, but I went back on the Greyhound injured, um, and then not till like a couple years later, I actually moved to Tahoe to live in Olympic Valley and ride squaw um, because I just kind of got obsessed with snowboarding for a short stint. Um, and then I pretty much moved back to uh, Providence in like 1997, and I didn't really have any plans to go anywhere. I was just going to stay put and you know, make money. I had a job at the time building skate parks, which had me traveling, so it didn't really matter where I lived. How does one get a job building skate parks? So, a job building skate parks starts probably like when you're 10 years old and you make your first launch ramp. Now, you just have to really want to build stuff to skate and be really interested. There's not a lot of work well, now there is, but back then there's not a lot of work involved. So what you do is you jump on anything locally that you hear going down, like any indoor skate park or hell, even a, somebody building a mini ramp in their yard, you just go and help out. You just develop the skill. And then it eventually, for me, led to a job building parks with a couple like volunteer efforts to like build indoor stuff. But my first like major park involvement was probably breaking ground. So uh, my buddy Sloppy Sam's Concrete Skate Park Company. That is no back in, Rhode, back in Rhode Island. That's back in Rhode Island, but uh, Breaking Ground I think formed in 1999, and I think he ended up selling the company in like 2010. So we had a lot of fun building parks all over the country, um, which led into like me jumping on building parks with different companies like Dreamland and Grindline and stuff like that, and took me pretty much all over the world which was great and then uh, after a while I just kind of got tired of being on the road but still would you know jump the chance to build the r certain parks in the right place that you want to be at the you know if, if there was a park being built in Portugal I'd jump on it right now because I want to go to Portugal you know but um stuff like that Iris keeps me busy at the moment so I don't really need to travel for work so much anymore you said international. Can you just drop uh, drop names of the country, some of the countries you went to? Yeah, so I, I had the pleasure of building a park in Dingolfin, Germany. I built a couple in... Uh, I built one in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and another one in Kitchener, Ontario. Um, bunch all over the country, especially the Northeast in California. Um, one in Detroit. Tons of backyard efforts like I call them efforts because it's pretty much you just call anyone you know who wants to help out hopefully they have skill a lot of times they do and we build some pretty nice gems are you doing the like the labor the work are you doing any any of the designing as well we're pretty or? much doing all of it the designing like when you're building like a backyard situation if it's your yard you're designing it you know a lot of that you can do as you go you know you don't really need to develop much more than a napkin drawing if you have the skills to take it to you know fruition but um when it comes to like a municipality of course now you're dealing with like blueprints and all that red tape planners and, and shit like that. Yeah. yeah um have you done some of that stuff then for yeah i've, I've done a lot of that stuff um working for another company i've never had to like actually push that paperwork myself thankfully right, right, right. but I've done a lot of uh, private skate parks locally like I did Thrasher Magazine's private skate park um, I did Skate Mental's private skate park 
I've done some contests for FTC for the cash. Um, it's always great, and it's always like it's a blessing to be able to do that because that's like it's like art to me. It's yeah. I was gonna say it's hell of creative, and it's like thankfully in a lot of those situations I had a say in what the design is gonna be, you know what the layout is, and I think I like to think when you're in a space and you know what type of skating you want to achieve in that space, the, the layout kind of develops itself sometimes. So you want always want to work with the person. Like, you never want to be like, this is a design, buy it. You want to work with them. You want to talk to them. Like, what is skateboarding to you? Because it's very different. Some people want, like, a vert wall. Other people want a mani pad, you know? So that's, like, that's the beauty of all facets of skateboarding, from riding it to building parks. It's like, what is it to you? What does it mean to you? How do you want to do it? What does it look like? That's all up to you. Someone's trying to tell you you're doing it wrong? Fuck that, you know? Yeah. That was George Rocha. Join us again on Thursday when George will talk about his move to the city and the story of starting his own unique skateboard company, Iris. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes, check out all our live events, and visit our store page to help support us. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a favor and rate and review what we do. And if you have any feedback for us, or any suggested guests, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.